Hello and welcome to Beauty Island, the award-nominated beauty podcast that celebrates life and lipstick. I am your host, beauty journalist, Brittany Stewart. If you are new here or you just need a little refresher, each episode I sit down with a guest and ask them about the eight beauty products that have a special memory or meaning for them. The ones they take to a desert island or beauty island that I am sending them off to. Maybe it's the first beauty product they ever bought, the one that gives them their signature look, or the perfume that instantly sparks a memory of a special place or person. Along the way, we find out more about their life, career, and the people and events that have shaped them into who they are today. Today, my guest is Felicity Harley, journalist, award-winning launch editor of both Women's Health Australia and Women, and author of the brilliant 2020 book, Balance and Other BS. You also might have seen her on morning TV show Sunrise, which she's been appearing as a commentator on for over a decade. We spoke a little earlier this year when she released her brilliant book about her first job as the entertainment editor at Girlfriend magazine in the era of the Spice Girls, Britney, Christina, Destiny's Child. And yes, she did enjoy a harbour cruise with none other than Beyonce, the rise of wellness as a commodity and industry, the mental load and giving up the quest for balance, and the skincare products she swears by for getting TV and red carpet ready. Oh, and you may hear references to her husband, Tom, throughout the conversation, particularly when we talk about balance in relationships. And yes, that is Tom Harley, former AFL player and current Sydney Swan CEO, and the story of how they met, which she shares, is great too. Felicity's brilliant book, Balance and Other BS, is available to buy and read now. I popped a link in the show notes to make it even easier too. Um, A note that a few things have changed since this conversation. Both Women and Women's Health Australia have now unfortunately closed and we do touch a little on the state and future of the magazine industry given Felicity's career has spanned both print and digital. If you enjoy this episode, please rate and review on Apple Podcasts or subscribe on Spotify if you haven't already. Or you can recommend to a friend or many friends by sharing a screenshot on your Instagram story don't forget to tag at Beauty Island Podcast so I can see. As an independent podcaster, those things really help more people to discover the podcast so I can keep making it for you. I also have a regular beauty newsletter called It's a Beauty. The link to sign up to that is also in the show notes. Now over to Felicity. Enjoy. Felicity, welcome to Beauty Island. I am very excited to be chatting to you today about beauty and balance and other BS, to quote the title of your book. To start us off, I like to talk about kind of your first memories of beauty. And I believe for you, your grandmother actually worked in the beauty industry. So that gave you a very early and exciting entry into it all. Yes, my um, my grandmother worked for, well, it was Mary Quant, which is an English company. It, and it was Mary Quant and then it later became Elizabeth Arden. So she worked in the accounts department for many, many years. Um, so my memory is basically she had her own beauty cupboard um, in the spare room at her house and we would we, we were never allowed to touch it. We had to always ask her, but she would um, always bring out the bright lipsticks and um, it was fabulous thinking back. And, and the other thing I do remember is they always had these amazing Christmas parties and they invited all the family and the grandkids and we went out to um, Elizabeth Arden. It was out at 
in Ryde in Sydney back then and we had a and we got a goodie bag at the end of the day so I had a you know a great entry into the whole beauty world which is actually it's quite I didn't think about it until um the other day because obviously working in magazines for many years we had beauty cupboards where you could go and you know see what was in there of all the beauty products we got sent so um yeah I I suppose I had my own beauty cupboard back when I was eight years old too. And growing up what was young or teenage Felicity like? What what would if we read your school reports? What would they say about you? Talk too much. <laughs> Talk too much was probably too interested in the boys, um, which I think was kind of fitting that my career ended up in women's magazines in many ways. But no, no. On a serious note, yeah, I think I was always interested in beauty. I mean, I, I grew up in my teenage years reading, you know, Dolly and Girlfriend had piles of dollies in my room, was always interested in the latest products and, you know, I did have quite oily, pimply skin and I suppose dealing with that and and um, actually it's funny, I also, when you asked for my favourite beauty products when I was a teenager, I was just obsessed with this beauty product called Sun In. I don't even know if it's around now but you can you could buy it in the chemist and you'd spray it on and it and Add, would add blonde highlights to your hair and oh it made my hair look hideous and it made it was my hair was such like it was so damaged and fallout was terrible but I just love this stuff um, because back then it was all about being a blonde beach babe so yeah that was kind of the teenage years for me I suppose reading beauty in magazines and then dealing with my own you know breakouts and what have you and trying to get blonde hair and did you, you're obviously an avid reader and collector of these magazines. Did you know it was what you wanted to get into as a career at that stage? No, probably not. I mean, I think, you know, my strengths were English and history and those kind of subjects. I was never into maths or science. So I probably, yeah, I probably didn't. I did journalism at university and then got my first job out of uni at Girlfriend Magazine. And in hindsight, looking back, it was perfect for me. I think through uni, I mean, I always knew I wanted to become a journalist and I was always the one that I went to University of Canberra and I was always the one who was, you know, heading off. I did headed off to a nudist camp to do a story and then I, I went to a morgue and I was always that journalist doing that student doing those kind of things while everyone else went to Parliament House. So I knew I was probably more interested in the lifestyle side of things. You know, I just kind of landed in magazines and, and then I think, of course, that just made sense because when I was 14, I collected magazines. And as you mentioned there, you got your first job at Girlfriend, which is one of uh, Australia's iconic magazines, and then went on eventually to Clio and Cosmo. And we'll talk a bit about women's health, which came later. But tell me about those, a bit more about those first few years in magazines for you what was it like yeah well my first job was out of uni was as entertainment editor for girlfriend magazine and it was amazing like it was uh, the year 2000 it was when all the bands like the spice girls and um, backstreet boys and pink and destiny's child and christina aguilera and britney spears i've met them all i've interviewed them all it was pretty crazy i was 22 you know, going on harbour cruises with Beyonce and thinking, wow, is this really happening? So it was a bit of an amazing entry into the whole world of magazines. Um, so it was fabulous. I look on those years so fondly at Girlfriend of, of just great times and and good fun and, and a great life experience. 
The third product on your list is, I think, one of the first beauty products you remember owning yourself. And for you, it is the Dove Summer Glow Gradual Self-Tan Body Lotion, which is still a great one today. Tell me about your memories with that. Isn't that a great product? I still have that in there now. And I just kind of put it on and and it, you know, I'm, I just, like, I don't mind an expensive product, but I also love a cheap product that works. Um, I actually have very fond memories of that because I actually started using it when I met my husband and we, and on our second day, we ended up in the Amalfi coast and it's just such a long story. I'm not even going to bother about it, but I just remember using that because I'd come out of Australian winter and, um, I was so white and I just grabbed it and I've just loved it ever since. I think it's an amazing product. It works really well for me. Um, it just kind of takes a bit of the edge off that when you're feeling a bit white. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but for me, I just do feel better when my skin's got a little bit of glow to it. And obviously your husband, Tom, pops up throughout the book as well, a former AFL player, now the CEO of Sydney Swans. You do have me so intrigued about your second date being in the Malfi Coast, but can you tell us how you met instead, if that's too long a story? <laughs> yeah, no, so we met. So I was working at Cosmo at the time. I was the feature, uh, no, deputy at Cosmo and he was a football player and he was in the Cosmo, like, hottest footy shoot. I don't even know. So not interested in football players back then. Didn't even, you know, I'd only ever been to one AFL game, but somehow we kind of hit it off and, you know, the rest is history. We now have three kids. But, yeah, he does feature a lot in my book and, you know, he's an amazing support to me and my career and, and trying to juggle kids and everything else and, you know, trying to work out this world of feminism really. You were the launch editor of Women's Health, which saw you win many editor and magazine awards and obviously building a brand in Australia, launching Women's Health. Tell me a bit about when you look back on that period, are there any particular highlights that stand out? Um, yeah, I mean, women's, that was a fantastic opportunity for me. It just um, kind of came out of the blue a bit and I left Cosmo and I launched Women's Health. We didn't know whether it was going to work or not. Um, I had many great highs. It was obviously we launched it when magazines were still flying high and you know, our circulation was phenomenal in those first couple of years. I think my highlights are every year um, we had a conference where all the editors of men's and women's health came together from around the world and we'd meet, whether it be New York or Barcelona, and we'd all get together and we'd all share ideas and what was working in our countries. And, you know, it was really quite, it was a lovely unifying experience because I realised that you know, what we're interested here, whether it be health or beauty or balance or, you know, whatever emotional health is exactly what they're also struggling with in Russia and Portugal and even China. You know, we're all we're all trying to deal with it in different variations, but we all have similar similar approaches. And I suppose even now when we're all locked down, that's more apparent than ever as well. So I did I love my time at women's health and I was very sad to leave, but it was time for me to leave. But yeah, the whole the whole experience of women's health was amazing. And one of the things you do talk about, identify in your book, is this idea of the wellness gap as being something that really contributes to the overload that a lot of women face. Obviously, being editor of Women's Health for a long period, you would have seen so many changes in the way that we talk about health and wellness and diet and all those things. Would you say the growth of wellness or well-being as kind of a mainstream topic and almost a product category in itself, would you say that's the biggest change that you saw 
from your start in women's health to now or is there something else that stands out to you even more? I mean, wellness became a commodity to me when I worked you know, maybe about three or four years ago. And when I when we first launched Women's Health, we went out selling the magazine, and I talk about this in my book, um, to advertisers and no one really cared. Like no one even knew what wellness meant. You know, I'd get up there and I'd go, you know, this is an amazing magazine. You know, you're, um, I think actually Clinique was one of the first beauty brands to advertise with us and they supported us from the get-go. They got it. But a lot of other people, they just weren't interested in it. They thought health was about preventing cancer and um, disease. And then really over the 10 years, it changed so much where suddenly everyone wanted a piece of the wellness pie. And I suppose in my book, I I mean, I love wellness, don't get me wrong, but I think there's a fine line between true wellness and wellness where people want to make money from it. And I think there's a lot of brands. I mean, you can even buy a car that's, you know, all about wellness now, which I think is ridiculous. So <laughs> I think there's a... There's a fine line and I, I I do worry and I've seen it. A lot of, you know, a lot of women are so overwhelmed anyway and then if we're adding this whole extra layer, you know, that you have to drink green juice every morning or you have to do yoga or you have to wear this certain outfit or do this or do this. And for me, you know, I call it out in the book, I say I don't, that's not wellness to me. Wellness is really about, you know, what's, what nourishes you on the inside. And yes, of course, drinking your green juice helps, but the pressure that we feel like we have to live up to this wellness ideal is what worries me, which is what, what I think is actually making us more unhealthy in the long term. And I really liked that you did really make the point that even with you, someone who is obviously very interested and conscious of health and who knows all the tricks has been around it, can even still be caught the, the pressure is so pervasive that even you say you've been caught up. I think you were at a wellness event or retreat um, at one point you describe in your book and then you kind of have this moment that you kind of realise how much you've kind of become trapped in it and even in the amount of hours just because how overwhelmed and absorbed you can become in it. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, look, I'm the first person to put my hand up and say, oh, yeah, give me any wellness cure and I'll give it a go like I've tried everything and but yeah I think there's a you do you just have to stop yourself and think well hang on do I really not need those new pair of leggings worth $130 that are being sold to me as wellness leggings they're really going to help me feel better about myself and the answer is probably no so I think now that I'm conscious about it I'm better at calling out the bs from the good stuff The fourth product on your list is the perfume that has a special memory or meaning for you, which for you is Flower Bomb. Tell me about what that perfume reminds you of or represents for you. I mean, perfume's amazing, isn't it? I just love, I mean, I could actually write a history of my life in perfumes. I don't know. I'm sure so many people could do that where you went through the, um, what did I wear, CK1 and um, then there was, a, what was that, Izzy Miyake and um, Hugo Boss and but yes Flower Bomb probably is my favorite I think it just reminds me of um, I mean there's no specific time I've just taken it away on holidays with me it's always the one that comes me with me when I go special um, places so whether I you know whether I'm down in Melbourne and, and Tom and I've gone to the Brownlow or whether we've gone over I've taken it with me when I went skiing and you know it's just got that smell now and actually I, I wore it when I was pregnant with my Jimmy who's now seven and I had really bad morning sickness and for a while I just couldn't go near it because 
I thought, oh, it just reminds me of being sick. But I push past that now because I love it so much. So um, now I just really wear it on special occasions and I just I just think the smell's divine. I love that it carries so many different memories of times and places. You know, like you said, we often have one scent that reminds us specifically of one time. I love that this is kind of a consistent scent that's been with you for a, a few major life things. I think that's really beautiful. Yeah, and actually my mum and dad, um, they give it to me every year. That's probably the other thing that's like my birthday present. So it probably has even more sentimental meaning now that they, um, yeah, that I get it from them every year. As you mentioned before, obviously a lot of your career has been spent in magazines, the editor at large of women, which is obviously a digital network. I know completely devastating set of events for the Australian magazine industry um, recently. I wonder if having straddled both things and obviously working at some of those iconic titles that we mentioned, Cleo, Cosmo and Girlfriend, how do you kind of look at it or regard it all? Because it really does feel like so many Australian media stables are very quickly disappearing from our shelves. It's really sad. I mean, I find it, you know, in so many ways, like those, you know, Cleo was with us for so many years and it was a part of so many women's upbringing and, you know, Cosmo and and women's health now. I mean, I'm really sad, but I, I also, on the flip side, knew that this was coming for a long time. So perhaps I'm a bit more pragmatic about it now, where I think five, eight years ago, we all, even 10 years ago, we knew that it was it was slowly going down. So I suppose personally, I've had enough time to know that it was going to happen. It was an in- inevitable and perhaps that's why I got out of magazines about four years ago because I felt, and also I just, I really love digital media. But yeah, it is really sad. And I do, I've, you know, I've got all those magazines in the boxes out there and I'm going to hang on to them and I'm going to give them to my daughter. And, and, but on the flip side, I also really love the new form of media and embracing that. And I've, I've also loved writing a book because it's just, you know, that's on the other spectrum. I feel like I've now done all these different, you know, from 80,000 words in a book to, 800 words on a digital page, which I'm in the middle of writing a story at the moment. I don't know. It's just exciting. And, and so I, I'm nostalgic for those great times that I had magazines, but I'm also excited by, you know, how media is today. And I know that the idea for the book was sparked from a piece that you did write online. Was there a specific moment or event that triggered or signaled you to write that piece in the first place? Or was it just kind of undercurrent of feeling that, and sentiment that you were feeling in yourself and around? Yeah, I think it was it was more the undercurrent. I, I think it was having, I mean, as a journalist, I mean, you'll probably feel the same. I, like I love just talking to people about how they're feeling and getting a sense of, you know, where their head's at. And I really felt that I had read a lot of things about overwhelm, stress, burnout. The WHO had just labelled it as a, you know, a workplace phenomenon. I felt just like these building, I'd seen studies, you know, mums at the school gate, my barista, you know, pe- women at the gym. I just think like, all these people that I'm talking to are, are so overwhelmed. I mean, this is pre-COVID. Obviously, it's going to be interesting to see what happens now. But And a lot of them still are overwhelmed. But, uh, yeah, I just felt it was this building and all these women in a pressure cooker. And I thought, where is this going to go? Like we're being sold that balance through advertising, through social media and through our own self-talk and society and feminism that we can all have a balanced life. And if we hit, if we are balanced, then we've hit utopia. But balance will never exist and so I feel like we have to give up our quest for that 
um, ride the highs and and deal with the lows. And so really the article was just a bit of a like, oh my gosh, I have to get something out about this. And then it went, it's actually the one, the only, the article that I've got the most amount of feedback from ever, where, you know, even I was on Sunrise one day and Koshi was afterwards said, Felicity, are you okay? And I was like, yeah, why? He's like, I read that article. I was just really worried about you. And I, and I was like, I'm okay. And I'm just, this is just what everyone's feeling. So that's, that's kind of where it, and then I was talking to Alan Unwin about doing a book and I, you know, I went, to, I said to them, there's something in this. And so that's when they said, okay, explore that idea and come back to us with a proposal and that's how it happened. And obviously, as you mentioned there, you have been going on Sunrise for, I think, is it a, almost a decade that you've been yeah, okay. appearing? Yeah. yeah. Which kind of leads us to one of the products, uh, the next products on your list, which you've put is the Dr. Dennis Gross Alpha Beta Glow Pads, which is a bit of a confidence boost, which you say are great for going on TV as well. So tell me a bit about that product. Yeah, have you? Have, do you know what they are? Yeah, like this kind of square little. It's it's almost like a a wipe that I wipe Arabella's bum with. <laughs> <laughs> but it, oh, they're amazing! You just wipe them on your face, and you and they they just develop overnight. It's just it's a tanning product for your face. They're like a little wipe, wipe it over, and it just gives me this little glow, this healthy glow, and. I just find it it's a great little confidence boost when you you know go when you when you go on TV. So that's my kind of go to whenever I've got an event or and they have body ones and I have tried the body ones and they're great and you just buy them from Mecca. Um but I I really like the face one. It just I don't know and and when I've worn it I've just had I mean when I do wear them or have put it on I get lots of comments like people are like oh your skin. Oh where have you where have you been? And I I'm thinking that is it. That's my little secret. And the other product kind of linked to that is one that you describe as kind of contributing to a bit of your signature look. You said you inherited a love of a bright lip from your grandma. So tell me about the go-to lipstick for you. Yes. So part of that cupboard, that beauty cupboard that my grandmother had, um, she always loved a bright lip. She'd always wear a bright red lip or a bright pink lip. And so I, I actually think I got, it was so in magazines, we used to have beauty sales because the beauty editor got so many beauty products. So we'd, you know, once a month, they'd be all on sale for $2 and then the money would go to charity or would, dare I say, fund our Christmas party. Um, and <laughs> half, half we did. Anyway, I I think it was there. They had an Elizabeth Arden Red Door Lipstick. Um, and it's just a beautiful red. I love wearing it. I wear it on TV. I wear it. I don't wear it every, every day when I go out, but I'll wear it, you know, if I've got an event or going to something and I love it. It's just a really beautiful, like it is like the perfect red. One of the other things I really liked about how you talked about this idea of balance is about how the pressure to kind of have and, and do it all really applies to all the different stages and ages of life it's not just when you become a parent it's kind of pervasive across all the decades and obviously you have you speak to people in your life and uh, and experts who represent all those different stages so every, so no matter who you are when you're reading it you can find someone who's at a life stage that you can identify with and obviously you got the thoughts of so many Aussie women Megan Gale Fifi Box as well as all the experts that pro- provide the more factual or statistical um, information. In all those conversations that you were having while you were doing the book, 
was there a real like aha moment of a quote or a stat that someone said that really kind of drove home to you about how much this is affecting us all? I mean, they, everyone felt it. Like, I mean, I asked those, yeah, you're right. Like, I think it was important. I, I, I wanted to make the point that overwhelm looks different for everyone. Um, whatever your life stage, whether you're single, whether you're a single mum, whether you're married, whether you're in a same-sex relationship, like it doesn't discriminate. So we all have different versions of overwhelm and we're all overwhelmed at different times in our life. So we might have a great day and then we might have a terrible day and a great day. So I just wanted to get different voices in there about how they um, dealt with it. I think I realised that everyone is overwhelmed. I think technology, social media particularly, the wellness industry, all these feminism, they're all kind of adding to it. I think the one thing that really that I came out of the book with, it's a, I don't actually know who said it first, but Elizabeth Gilbert, the writer, wrote in one of her books, Magda Sabowski said it, a few different people said it, and it's, it is done is better than perfect. And I think there's, that can apply to anything. I think as women, we try, it's not about not doing the best you can, but it's just about doing your best. And we might see this person over here who's got, who's done fabulous makeup, for example, and this person over here who's got what looks like the perfect life. And then, you know, and we get so judgmental on ourselves thinking, well, how come I can't do that? What can't do that? You know what? They've done it and do your best in your, as you can. And then at least it's done. And I think that, I don't know, maybe letting go of trying to do everything perfect, at least doing some things really well. And for, and I really found that, you know, this book for me, it's not perfect. I had, I wrote it in three months, but it's done. And that was probably my biggest learning out of it. And I think we can all be kinder, kinder on ourselves. Um, and lower, I don't know if it's really lowering expectations, but it's just about, yeah, doing the best you can and not worrying about what everyone else is doing. And I think that's particularly hard, especially in the social media world where we're saying this person can do that headstand and, oh, my gosh, I can't believe they cooked that cake for their kid's birthday. And oh, But they're like 30 and they've already done that in their career. And, you know, it doesn't matter. What about what you do? What about are you doing well? You know, at least do something and do it. And so that's probably my biggest learning that we just need to give cut ourselves a bit of slack. Definitely a very important reminder, like you said, applying to so many different situations. The sixth product on your list is the one that you always repurchase, which uh, for you is another classic, the YSL Touche Clat. Yes, I love that. And I love that you pronounced it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that product is so good, isn't it? I think the the thing about being on TV and working in, in magazines is I really got to try some and have tried some great products without having to necessarily purchase them because that is not cheap. Same with the foundation that I use. You know, it's not just a chemist warehouse kind of foundation. So I love that. That's my go-to. I I think I fir- it first got used on my face during an Ed's letter shoot and it was just, it's you know, now that I'm over 40, it's great for covering lines and and just adding a bit of shading to my face where I'd like things to be smaller or bigger or not look so um or emphasize things so that is something that I always purchase and I love it another big topic that you address in balance and other bs is the obviously the idea of the mental load that a lot of women carry I've seen some articles recently obviously as we're recording this we're in the midst of COVID-19 
one a few articles have been talking about that maybe one tiny bright side of isolation might be that men's eyes have been opened a little bit to the mental load that women carry of all the things that are happening at home. Do you agree? Do you think that will be something we might see some kind of shift in after this? Yeah, it's interesting, actually. I've, I've seen a lot of those too. And I saw an interesting article from the New York Times that actually had a for and against, which, and I actually thought, you know what, I'm really on the fence about this. I really agreed. So for being yes, finally, men are seeing the actual mental load and are exposed to what women do around the home. Um, you know, every single thing, whether it be organising lunches or, you know, we've got more mental load with homeschooling. And and so, yeah, they're finally seeing and, and they're finally stepping up and they're helping and they're putting on the washing and they're, you know, worrying about someone's birthday and, you know, they're, they're seeing everything. But on the flip side, I have seen and read other um, stories which are saying that the women's mental load is, is worse than ever because, it's women who are primarily in part-time um, or casual roles who sadly have to drop work because they have to look after their kids and homeschool at home. So they're actually being more disadvantaged as the men are holding on to their jobs. The women have to be the ones to almost take a step back and become more 1950s housewife, as I read. Um, so I think at the moment, I'm seeing both sides of the argument and I really hope that when we go back out into the world that the more of the acceptance of working from home and, and things like that will mean that men will step up more. So I don't know, I'm just a bit on the fence still. I don't know. I mean, for our household, definitely, you know, Tom, I mean, Tom's pretty good, but he's definitely has stepped up. I mean, I just came up here and here I made him get off a work call because I'm like, I need to use the bedroom to record this podcast, get downstairs <laughs> and look after the kids. So, you know, that would never have happened before. Um, so I'm seeing a shift in our, uh, yes, a shift in our household with more appreciation of what I do. Um, so I think it's definitely helped us. And I, so I just help me, I hope moving forward that, you know, women can get out back out in the workforce if they've had to give up hours in their their job or whatever and once the kids go back to school then it, it yeah it will i hope it does the mental load will ease and from that i know particularly in things like celebrity profiles in magazines this question of how do you juggle it all has always been a bit of a contentious one largely because it's only been asked of women if we took away the gender part of it and asked it to everybody do you think it's actually a question and an answer that is helpful for people to hear from public figures or or anyone really yeah I do I do and I, I think that's a great point because I think more now men are being asked like you know how are you juggling it I think even you know with men on zoom calls and kids running behind them and we've almost normalized fatherhood in a way that we never used to I mean the workplace was still set up for 1950s you know men going to work and going and nine and, and six and I think finally we're seeing you know the walls have crumbled around fatherhood in that respect but yes I do think there's back to your question I think there I think sharing stories and sharing how you do it and you know and being more vulnerable about you know I'm not coping you know there's times when we we don't cope and I feel like we've been stuck behind our doors and we've not talked about it and we don't have the community around us that you know women might have had in the 60s and 70s we don't have we're not as in many ways, relying on it as our friends, perhaps that they were, you know, 30 years ago. So I think 
talking about it and sharing our stories and sharing how we don't cope and sharing what we do and how it helps us cope um, is important. And that's probably why there are lots of other female voices in the book because sharing ideas and tips of what they do and it's okay to fall in a heap but this is how I pick myself back up. The seventh product on your list is the beauty thing that would you would trust with your life and I love for you that it's not a product but a person. It is your hairdresser Stevie English so tell me a bit about why you would trust your life with them. Oh because I mean you can see it now I've got grey spraying everywhere but um, he is just I mean, he is my favourite beauty product in the world. I can just go to him and he knows exactly what my hair needs and, you know, I see him probably every two months now. I've been going to him for years. We actually met, so he's got a salon in Glebe in Sydney um, called Steve English, obviously, and we actually, when I worked at Clio, I had to go to the Australian Hair Awards and we, so it would have been 15 years ago, and um, we sat on the same table and we just hit it off and we, we got on like a house on fire. And so then, um, yeah, I just went, he said, come and see me one day. And so I just went and saw him and I've been seeing him ever since. That was when he worked for, he worked for Barney Martin, who's another salon in Sydney. And now he's got his own salon. He, I get him tickets to footy games. He does my hair. He's a Mad Swans fan. So, you know, we, it works well. <laughs> so we, um yeah, he's he's the best. I would not be able to survive if he was not the master of my hair colour. Who is someone who has really shaped or inspired you, and that can be personally or professionally? There's many women who have inspired me. I mean, I think my, you know, close to home, my sisters, um, I've got two sisters. I've got one who lives in Canada and she's a extreme sports photographer and then I've got another one who's got two kids and um, lives in Newcastle in New South Wales. I mean, they've probably helped shape me because they're, you know, we're all very close. Um, and my mum, yeah, we're de- we're really close. I think we're you just fun. I'm vulnerable with my sisters, and they know me for me, and they both inspire me in different ways. Like my aunt, who lives in Canada, is just a real kit butt kind of woman. She doesn't let anything stop her. If she, you know, I'm gonna hike that mountain I'm going to ice climb down this and and that has always she's a real go-getter and I think that's inspired me but in another way my other sister Eliza is kind caring has a lovely nurturing spirit and I think she inspires me in that way and then my mum also inspires me because I think she's just an all-round amazing woman so woman and then my auntie so I've got the my auntie's like my pseudo older sister so they're probably my tight circle of women who inspire me, um, not necessarily shape my career, but more shaped me as a person. It seems we're having a lot more conversations and particularly it's something I always like to ask on this podcast about how you kind of define success outside of the traditional things. Um, so I would love to know from you when you look back on your life so far, the thing that you, where you felt successful or the thing that you're most proud of, because I love in the dedication in your book. Sorry, I keep turning because I've got got it right here <laughs> to look at <laughs> um in your dedications you call your children your greatest achievements which I thought was really sweet yeah success for me is I define success by just probably living a life of meaning and you know I've I've had a great career and I've worked hard and I've you know had luck fall on my way as well with that like I, I think careers you you also get lucky but you know I'm, I'm a bit of a 
spiritual soul in some ways and I like things that nurture me and I think you know meaningful for me family is probably the most important thing and friends like relationships they're the things that keep you going especially through times like this they're the things that nourish your soul and my kids I mean I survived child well I didn't I had a cesarean with three of them but you know I survived carrying them I've got them down there and they drive me crazy but in many ways they are you know my greatest success but not just kids I mean I suppose it's friends is also really important to me so in terms of success that's probably what I define success is actually meaningful relationships that I hold and and carry and continue to work on those so that's a lovely way of looking at it I like that the final product on your list is your holy grail or your greatest discovery which is the Endota Spa Hydrate Me Mist. So tell me about what makes this one so wonderful. Oh, I just, I, I don't know about you, but I have really got into these hydrating mists. It might, maybe it's that I'm getting older and I'm like, I mean, I've had no, like I'm all about topicals. I've had nothing injected into my face. and and But this one, I I actually bought it on the way to, I took the boys, there was the my two sons and I went to Bali this time last year and I just started getting into these mists, like I used to have one on my desk. And I don't know, it just kind of made you feel a bit refreshed. And then people started commenting how glowy my skin looked. And then I'm thinking, oh, it must be that. Um, and I mean, I know it's many other things, but that probably helped. So I bought this Endota one when I, before, because I always love using that on the plane. And I didn't have one and I just, it was at the airport and I bought it. And there's just, maybe it also reminds me of that great trip to Bali where I just took the two boys to Bali. I went on a work trip and the boys came with me. But I just love the smell of it and I really love using spray mist at the moment. Like I'm still spraying away at the moment even in the house. <laughs> I love them. They just refresh and I just, I think they've really hydrated my skin. Um, yeah, I think I don't probably spend enough time looking after my skin I kind of just am a bit of a person who oh just use whatever's in there I suppose if you're working in magazines you've always got things and digital is you've always got different things to try and so I've never been really set on oh I must use this cream and I must use that but they miss fantastic I love them when you think about your relationship with beauty, obviously you've had so many different interactions. Obviously that every day you're also on TV, which is one thing you've been on red carpets as well. How do you kind of describe your relationship to beauty? Is it something that is a confidence thing for you? Is it something that you enjoy playing with as an expression of personality? How do you kind of describe your relationship with it? Yeah, I mean, I think for beauty for me is it comes a lot from the inside as well. Like I think to me beauty is, I mean, I have done many, many model castings throughout my time as in magazines and you show me the most beautiful person in the world and then you show me someone who might not be as beautiful but they are the nicest person to chat to and for me that is she is far more beautiful and I would book her for a job over the person that perhaps would be typically more beautiful. So I... Yeah, I think confidence for me. I think health, obviously, really important. I mean, I always feel better and more beautiful when I've exercised, when I've eaten well, rather than, you know, if I haven't. So, you know, say the brown low or going on TV or that kind of thing, I probably just am more focused on, I mean, obviously, I care what I look like and, you know, you want to feel your best. But yeah, for me, beauty is also about finding that inner confidence and and being okay with perhaps, 
you know, not being the best looking person on the carpet or whatever, but just feeling good in what you're wearing and, and doing and what makeup you've got on. And, and I suppose the other thing over the years, it takes a little time, a little while to figure out what works best on you as well. But I feel more beautiful when I feel confident in what I'm wearing or my makeup or how my hair is. And I think that comes through too. Absolutely. You have talked us through the eight products that have a special memory or meaning for you or that you just love. And now is the hard part where as I cast you away to Beauty Island and tell you that you can only take one of the products that you have spoken about ah, today. Okay. <laughs> it doesn't have to be pra- it doesn't have to be practical. It can just be the one that you want to either use or keep you company. Which of your products or your person, you do have a person on your list, are you oh, going yeah. to take with you to Beauty I'm Island? Stevie with me. <laughs> he would be like, no, well, I'm not spending, I'm not going to Desert Island with you. No. Um, well, that's a good question. So which would be my all-time favourite beauty product, basically? Oh, that is hard. The perfume, I reckon. You know, just because memories make me, you know, remind me of good times and good things and, yeah, I think that would be my favourite flower bomb. Great choice. I was almost going to say, I think it's taken five seasons, but you might have been the if you'd chosen Stevie, you might have been the first person to thwart the rules and end up taking someone else with you to keep you company. <laughs> Maybe I should say that. Although I'm not sure about my husband, what? or Stevie's wife. Like no, no husband. Like okay, you can go. <laughs> Felicity, it has been so lovely talking to you today about beauty, your career, balance, and so many other topics. So thank you so much for your time. It's been such a delight. Thank you for having me. Lovely to chat to you too. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Beauty Island with the brilliant Felicity Harley. You can find where to follow her, read her work and buy her book, Balance and Other BS, plus all the products that she spoke about in today's episode in the show notes. If you fancy chatting more beauty, you can find me on Instagram at Beauty Island Podcast or my personal beauty account at Brittany Beauty BTS, where I regularly share products I'm loving and talk about all aspects of beauty culture. You can also sign up to my regular beauty newsletter called It's a Beauty. It's basically my free beauty column reviews and recommendations straight to your inbox. Thank you so much. And until next time, bye bye. <laughs>